Hello, my friends, Patrick here with a very quick note before we get into the episode. John and I invite you to head to the website, optimalagency.co, and get your HWT score, your health, wealth, and time score. This is a free assessment that will give you a snapshot of where you are today on the road toward your optimal agency. 60 questions will only take you a few minutes. You'll get a sense of where you are strong and where you are weak. Again, optimalagency.co slash HWT. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you in advance, and let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. I am joined, as always, by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. How are you, John? I'm great, Pat. Uh, Before we get into this conversation about dragons, which I'm excited about, uh, just a reminder, if you are uh, resonating with these ideas, with these conversations, please make sure you are subscribed or following wherever you are listening to this. That will ensure you do not miss another episode, and it also helps the uh, algorithm overlords know that this is good and that they should show it to more people. So thank you in advance. We're going to talk about, uh, 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 jokingly not, um, dragons today. We, uh, I came across kind of like two, one you actually sent me, one I just kind of came across, uh, things related to dragons. And I was like, these are connected. And so I just want to put them on the table first. And then we're going to kind of get into a conversation about uh, facing the dragons, what that means, what it looks like, and why we need to, if we are going to build a life of optimal agency. And so two little quotes. One is from Jordan Peterson. Uh, He says, uh, people are often loath to figure out precisely where they are. They don't want to know because they'd rather be spread out in a half-blind manner in the fog, hoping that the place that they're at is better than it is and deluding deluding themselves by remaining vague. Rather than trying to figure out, I'm right here right now with these specific problems. But it's better to do that because if you have a set of specific problems and you narrow them down and and specify them, then you can start fixing them and you can start fixing them incrementally. He says, slay the dragon in its lair before he comes to your village. And then the second thing, it doesn't feel related, but I believe is, is from Cal Newport, who's a productivity uh, writer and podcaster. He talks about confronting the productivity dragon, which is his way of saying, instead of just being overwhelmed by all the things you need to do, you've got to actually stop and face the productivity dragon. He says, in the mythology of your professional life, in other words, you decline Uh, You decline to confront the dragon and instead put up a half-hearted warning sign or rage to anyone in earshot about the unfairness of the dragon's existence in the first place. Uh, And he was giving advice to somebody. He said, my advice was to resist this temptation. I told the listener instead to confront the dragon. So that is the context for this conversation about dragons. You go now. So a dragon Mm -hmm. is a serpent Mm -hmm. with wings. And the serpent, of course, is the allegorical symbol of knowledge. Interesting. Right? So yeah. if you go back to the Garden of Eden uh, ethos, yep. what was yep. what was the serpent tempting Eve to do? Eat from the tree of knowledge and thereby know what is good and what is bad. Okay. Mm. So the dragon is a serpent. The serpent is the purveyor of knowledge. And of course, confronting the dragon, the dragon is knowing, mm-hmm. is knowing. And so what 
Peterson's saying, what Cal Newport is saying, is it is better to know than to not know, because in knowing, you can achieve action. In ignorance, you have no direction from which to go. And so, as I look at what Peterson is saying in contrast, or I'm sorry, in relation to optimal agency, how wealthy are you? How much time do you have agency over? How much time have you sacrificed to the whims of other people's goals? How healthy are you truly? Do you know what your blood markers look like? Your body fat? Have Do you know what your risk is right now of heart attack or stroke? Are you mildly diabetic, right? Do you have an extra tire around the middle that you think is cute, but is in fact an indicator that you might die sooner than you need to? And so I think what the dragon is, is saying, do not delude yourself, engage in intense self-knowledge. And of course, we have to go from there and say, well, Why wouldn't you do that? Because the reflection in the mirror, health, wealth, or time might not be today what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. But rather than look at that and say, that is a fact, right? The sun comes up in the east, the earth hurtles through space at 60,000 kilometers an hour, whatever the fact is, we say, this is my fault. And we experience probably the most poisonous of human emotions when we look at something it's not optimal and we think it's our fault, which is shame. Mm And so rather than feel shame, which I I would argue if you ever want to like, you know, get real philosophical is the worst human emotion. Mm-hmm. Rather than feel that, we would rather remain vague. We would rather say, I don't know, but in not knowing and not knowing the ha- having the knowledge, I am freed of the obligation to do anything about it. And so embedded in this idea of confronting the dragon, slaying the dragon, is that you now have a responsibility where before you had none. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that it's not confronting the dragon that has given you the responsibility. It's confronting the dragon that has made you aware of a responsibility that you had the whole time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Vague keeps away the shame. Right, that the, the our embrace of the vague keeps us from at least what feels like that shame, which I think I agree with you is is perhaps the the fundamentally useless useless emotion that we are that we are uh, that we often find ourselves, um, and so specificity embraces the shame, but only momentarily, right? Because specificity leads to action. At least it could, at least it should, mm-hmm. right? That's sort of the basic argument here. Almost is, invariably. Is you will have to, you don't have to feel the shame. Maybe we can unpack what we need to replace the shame with, but let's just say right now we don't have the tools to replace the shame. You have to face the shame so that you can get beyond the shame. And you can only do that if you are specific. You only do that if you stare at the thing, right? How do we, how to do that when shame is so pervasive? When shame is so strong and so frightening that we do almost anything to avoid it. The first step is to find a tool, right? Human beings, like that's exactly what we are as tool users. And so the first thing you need to do is find a tool that allows measurement, mm-hmm. right? And I think the second thing that you need to do is don't focus on where you are standing. It's not productive. Focus on where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And for each of these categories, wealth, time, and health, say, what is my ideal outcome? Right. And it might be something like this it might be for wealth, I would love it if I owned my car instead of making payments on it. 
And I would love it if I didn't have any more credit card debt. Okay, so now you're looking at where you want to go. You have a plan. You're not looking down and saying, I have $15,000 in credit card debt, and I clearly shouldn't have bought this beautiful car because I can't afford the payments, right? Mm -hmm. What you might say is, I'd want no more car payments. Maybe you march down to the car dealer and you trade it in for a used model that's worth less. Yep. So that you don't have, so that you have some equity in the deal, and you're immediately free of that particular obligation. You know, and if we extend that idea to to time, maybe you look at your calendar and you say, "This is chock full of meetings I don't want to go to, and other people's things." Well, what would you like it to be? Well, I'd like two hours free every day that are not in a meeting, so I can do some work. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's identify two likely candidates for doing that and kill them. It doesn't do you any good to say. Where am I, except in light of saying, what does that mean about where I want to go? Mm -hmm. And so shame is not forward looking. Shame is backward looking. Yeah. Shame is looking at your fucking shoelaces, yep. right? And optimal agency is picking your head up and looking at the horizon. And if you're really feeling a lot of the shame, don't look at the far horizon, look at the near one. Yep. Look at an object just a few feet in front of you. This is something that I, I learned from you many, many years ago, but you're, you're probably going to have to tweak it so that it's actually accurate, which is if, if you're driving a car and you start to spin out, what the natural tendency seems to be is like looking with the direction you're moving, but the actual answer is to look in the direction you want to go. Mm -hmm. Is that roughly accurate? Yeah. And not only accurate, uh, it's exactly why I put a Formula Ford into the wall at Lime Rock at 80 miles an hour. I, was I looking, think that's when you you transferred that lesson yeah, to me. <laughs> I was looking at the wall instead, yeah. of, instead of the turn. Yeah. You know, and um, the same thing holds true in my, my love of downhill uh, mm, snowboarding. Yeah. Like, so if if you get in the trees yep. in steep shit, like I was in Telluride, Colorado with my girlfriend, Annie, where she's a baller of a skier, yep. you know, and we're going through the woods. And if you look at the trees, guess what you're going to do? Mm -hmm. You're going to hit a Gravity. tree, right? Like, no, you're going to hit a tree. You yeah. look between the trees. Yep. Don't look at the object. Look at the background, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, it holds true in every sport. And it's almost become this aphorism mm -hmm. of look look where you want to go. Yeah. It works in whitewater kayaking. It works in snowboarding. works in race car driving. <laughs> and it works like hell to ameliorate any shame you feel about where you, you might be today. It feels like a natural place for us to mention and talk a little bit about the HWT score. Mm -hmm. Because that is a place, that is a, a, a means of facing the dragon, mm -hmm. right? Of of looking at the thing, even if the thing is hard, even if it has that the bubbling up of that shame, even if it makes you recognize I've really been irresponsible in these in some some number of decisions. Talk about the HWT score and and is that a proxy for what we're talking about here? Or is that a means of getting to this place that we're talking about? It's one means. It's it's a tool. Uh, it's a way forward. There are a lot of ways forward. But what I wanted to do was illustrate a couple things with the HWT score. First, where are you in terms of the behaviors of health, wealth, and time? Are you doing the things that will move you closer to agency with those elements? Or are you doing things that will move you farther away? And so, you know, it's a 60-question online questionnaire that just in reading the questions, frankly, will allow you to gauge that. But then we quantify where are you? And in Importantly, what's your balance between these things, right? And what we find over and over is that people tend to have a deficit in one versus the other. It doesn't necessarily tell you exactly what to do, where to look and where to aim. It tells you where you are. And if you are an astute 
reader. What you do is look at the questions you were asked and say, what does this imply? Mm -hmm. What does this imply the right answer is? Because I never want our listeners to feel like they're simply uh, not being given credit for their intellect. Mm -hmm. And so it's that it's that process of saying, what's the right question to ask, right? Do you have free time available to you on weekdays? Mm -hmm. Well, what am I implying there? You probably should. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so, you know, as you go through that benchmarking of saying, what is my HWT health wealth time? What is my HWT score? Of course, what we want to do is we want to get you looking at the horizon or looking a few feet in front of you, improve one thing at a time, come back after a suitable duration of time has passed. It's not next week. Yep. And take it again and say, where am I now? Mm-hmm. Um, and folks can find that at optimalagency.co um, and uh, you can get your score. Uh, there so you can get a sense of where you are, even if it is hard to face that particular dragon. I want to bring in a quote from Naval Ravikant. He says, most of our suffering comes from avoidance. That strikes me as the the primary, and maybe it's right up there with shame, as the primary reason we don't look at the dragon. And if we don't look at the dragon, we can't slay the dragon. So not looking at it, avoiding it is the cause of so much pain and so much suffering. It just may be a suffering down the road. I'm going to, I'm going to push this particular (laughs) degree of suffering off to some, to, to a point where I can't push it off anymore. And that's where we end up getting into so much trouble, um, with health, with wealth and with our time freedom. And I'm going to bring in one more little quote that you actually sent me from Jocko. Uh, he was doing a little podcast, um, and he called, I think, I think of the name of it was don't accept it, or at least that's my note. Uh, and he just says, we allow things. I can't do my, I can't do a Jocko voice. So pardon me. Uh, we allow <laughs> things, we allow things to happen. We should not accept. We allow ourselves to get out of shape. Uh, you didn't get out of shape overnight. You accepted it day after day after day. We let ourselves get into bad financial situations. We accept it a little bit at a time. We accept doing a job or living a life that we really don't want to live. What I'm saying is don't accept that. Figure a way out. There are things in life that you cannot accept. If you accept them a little bit, you lose everything. And so when, when you sent that to me, the, these ideas, these ideas of dragons and and not accepting, of facing the dragon and then don't accept the dragon started to pe- started to come together for me as like a part one and a part two. First thing you have to do is you have to accept it. And then you, and then the next thing you have to do is don't accept it. And it strikes me that that's in there, as hard as that is, is the blueprint. Acknowledge it, but don't accept it. Yeah. I love the idea that if you accept little things that cause you suffering, you will accept big things that cause you suffering. And you shouldn't accept either because the world is negotiable. And this might be the grand story of optimal agency is that the world is negotiable, mm. but not if I don't know where I stand. And so let's imagine that you and I are friends and we've been friends for a long time and we have a problem with each other. Mm -hmm. Let's say that we're roommates, hypothetically, and hypothetically that our stove is covered in mouse shit. Yes. Right. Just hypothetically. We were busy. We were busy. (laughs) Right. And one of us accepts that and one of us doesn't. Okay. So uh, it's very possible that what builds from that resentment, right? And the thought that you should take care of that. No, you should take care of that. But if nobody ever points and says, hey, there's mouse shit there. I don't like that. Right. Even though it's the tiniest thing, literally. Right. We never move our relationship forward and we actually break it down because we allow other emotions where simple acknowledgement and then non-acceptance 
and then action would have been the the proper path. And so it's about accepting the momentary discomfort and understanding that the momentary discomfort will lead to maximal comfort down the line. And maybe just by acknowledging it, have you ever, if you're listening to this, you have a secret. Mm -hmm. There's something you know about yourself that causes you deep shame, likely. And you maybe have never told anybody that thing. And you've probably fantasized about telling someone. And why do we do that? Why do we disclose our deepest and darkest? Because it ceases to be our problem and becomes a problem. It becomes the problem. Acknowledgement depersonalizes, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I can measure my treatment of money, or my treatment of debt, if I can measure where my health is, and then I can acknowledge that in some way with somebody dear to me, right? What I'm doing is I'm creating an impetus for lightening that problem, making it smaller. And that's what Peterson is saying when he's saying, slay the dragon in its lair, not when it comes to your village. Because when it comes to your village, it is there in the mythological sense for havoc. Mm -hmm. It is there to break and destroy. And that's what dragons do when they are not confronted. What do they do in their layers? They sleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They sleep and they're tiny. They're non-threatening. Get them while they sleep. Right. And that's that action of saying, I acknowledge this. I don't accept it. And I'm going to act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um uh, another show that I have, Chasing Excellence, Ben and I talk about this framework of awareness, intention, and action. And that's it. And it, they go in those orders, right? You have to be aware of whatever it is. Then you have to set your set a course for yourself, and then you have to take massive action. And ultimately, like it's, it's so funny to me how many conversations he and I have that can be brought back down to that simple framework of awareness, intention, and action. Um, and so I just wanted to put that out there because it, it's been useful to me as, again, just as a framework. Um, I, I had a thought recently. I want you to either either uh, uh, agree with this or poke holes in and tell me why I'm wrong. But it strikes me that this is related to it. Which is, And the thought was that emotions are, are always information, but emotions are not always instructions. And so, again, thoughts on that. But to me, that's what we're talking about here is... The, the emotion, whether it's shame or regret or or anything else of, of, of confronting the dragon, of recognizing that we have to accept the dragon and then not accept the dragon, the, the emotions we feel, whatever that might, maybe it's pride, whatever we feel is instructional or whatever we feel is information, but it's not always instruction because the instruction of shame is to push that away. Mm -hmm. The instruction of regret is to not think about it anymore is to, and so, because those are just the easiest things. That's, that's our kind of our response to those feelings. And so thoughts on, am, am I, am I in the right ballpark with what the real challenge of slaying the dragon actually is? I think you are spot on. And I think there are a lot of Zen Buddhists that would agree with you fully that your emotions and your thoughts are not instructions. They are simply fleeting uh, and, you know, metaphysical elements. They're there. And by acknowledging them and acknowledging their existence, you allow them to leave. Mm. Right. Uh, and But I love that. I love that framework and concept that what information is shame giving me? It's giving me the information that one. I don't like how I have handled this in the past. Two, it's very important to me that I handle this well. 
That's another piece of information that shame conveys, mm-hmm. right? And then shame probably tells us that, unfortunately, I believe that this is not reconcilable. I cannot fix this, mm. right? Shame attempts to convey that information. And so if shame was an instruction, it would be don't do anything, live with this suffering. Yeah. But saying it's fixed, this is, yeah, but Jocko would say, don't accept that. Tell shame, I am acknowledging your information that this is important to me and I should do something about it. Mm -hmm. I am not acknowledging your information that this is non-solvable, right? And so your instructions, thank you, are, are being rejected. Your information is valid. Most of it, some of it, your instructions are not. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to develop a plan of uh, approach and then I'm going to take, I love that term, massive action. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another name, like Swedish death cleaning and massive action (laughs) this Friday at the Paradise. Right. I'd go to that show. Yeah, I'd go to that (laughs) show. So I I think that's spot on. I love that construction. And I think that the only thing, the only hole that I would poke at all is, okay, well, I still need some instructions. I still need some instructions. And so I think that's the other thing that keeps people paralyzed in place. They say, I know something's wrong. I know it's important. I know what to, I want to do something about it, but I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we have to get hyper tactical and say, what is the next realistic and definable action. Mm -hmm. And I think where people lose this, and we can go back to kind of this, you know, things that we've heard from James Clear and things that we've heard from great coaches. Don't focus on the outcome you want, focus on the process to get there. What is the thing that I could do today and tomorrow and the day after repeatedly? What's the habit I could develop that would get me closer? Right. And so let's say that you have massive credit card debt and you say, well, what's the, what's the one thing I could do Like, let me get to the pump handle intervention. What's the one thing I could do that could stop me from having massive credit card debt? Mm -hmm. Step one, take your credit card out of your wallet. Mm -hmm. Put it somewhere less accessible. Introduce friction. Maybe number two is go into your saved payment methods in your browser of choice, in your Apple TV, in your Fire Stick, in your whatever, on Amazon.com and erase it. Okay. Now you've created an environment in which you've already taken kind of action in that next step. So knowing what to do, it doesn't help to know the outcome. It doesn't help. So, you know, if I'm in massive debt or I failed to save for retirement, or I simply am living above my means, or I'm not making very much money, like whatever that thing is, it doesn't do me any good to say, I would like to have a million dollars in the bank. Mm -hmm. Zero. That's an Mm -hmm. outcome goal. I need process goals. Yeah. Uh, It reminds me, Scott Adams, the author of Dilbert, he, uh, he, I don't remember the name of the book that he wrote this in, but he said, that systems are more important than goals because goals, even if you hit the goal, now what? Right. Mm -hmm. But chances are tomorrow you're not going to hit the goal. And so tomorrow you have to wake up knowing you're not going to hit that goal. But if you focus instead on the systems, you can, you can uh, abide by that system tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, because it's not tied to some end state that someday you hope to get to the system will be there tomorrow. And that's the only thing you have to focus on. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. I mean, it's now echoed around the the self-help sphere to the point where I'm sure that he did say it and I've heard Clear say it and I've heard Ferris say it and I'm because they're all right, yeah. right? It's like everybody's triangulated on this truth that the natural human tendency is to come with an outcome goal. I want this end state right? Instead of a process goal. And so if you, if you're doing that, you should always have that, that, you know, uh, that self-check to say, how would I turn this outcome into a process? 
it strikes me that the rules of wealth, the rules of health, and the rules of time are a really good place to start after you decide, I've accepted it, and I'm no longer going to accept it. Now what? Yeah. Go to the rules. And if nothing else, and that's why they're there, if nothing else, do the, do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, those rules were, those rules aren't, I wish I wrote them for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Those are my rules. Yep. Like, and I don't mean like I claim authorship. I mean, those no, are those my are rules. <laughs> That's my operating system. That's the thing I remind myself of when I want to have the right process. And so if you measure and you know where the dragon is and you would like to confront it in its lair, you do the HWT score or you don't. Mm-hmm. You just read the rules, yeah. right? <laughs> read the rules and say, what am I doing? What am I not doing correctly? And uh, if I can ask you to take a leap of faith, mm-hmm. try them, try them. You'll find out that they work. And that should be the ultimate test of any set of instructions is, does it get me closer, right? Does it do the job it's meant to do? Love it. All right. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you folks out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. They do help new folks find the show and trust that the show is worth it. So if you haven't yet and you're liking this, please leave us a review wherever you are listening to this. John and I will be back soon for another episode of Optimal Agency. One more note, one more invitation before we go. A reminder to get your HWT score to figure out where you are today on the road to Optimal Agency. OptimalAgency.co slash HWT is where you can find it. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.